0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the When Wrestlers Act podcast. I'm John Cronshaw and I am joined today by my good friend and award-winning radio DJ, Dean Ellison. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm well.
1: It's good to be back on the airwaves. <laughs> hey.
0: So today we're going to be reviewing what I can only describe as Series 4, Episode 7 of The A-Team, an yeah. episode entitled Body Slam.
1: That description
0: is apt and accurate <laughs> in equal measure. That's the kind of key as a journalist. You want to be accurate. The episode stars Hulk Hogan as a main character. It has peripheral characters of, of Mean Gene Oakland and uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine. It has a plethora of supporting stars out there. It opens up. You're in what looks to be a prison. Not a very good. Oh, s- yeah. <laughs> Not a very good set. <laughs> You've forgotten what we've watched, haven't you? Help opens up. Uh, I've just not put the sequence of
1: events back in the right order. It did start <laughs> off looking like they were picking someone up from a prison. Yeah. It turned out to be a wrestling arena.
0: Yes. They've got the, the searchlights out. They've got the guys coming into the ring. And who's in the ring? It's Hulk Hogan and Big John Studd. So they're having a wrestle. And because it's, it's on a TV show, they're wrestling around, and, and there's all those um, kind of noises that you get on the Street Fighter. All those... <laughs> And there's there's all these slow motion slow motion bits of wrestling. There's a there's a uh, brief cameo by uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan playing himself. And there's first rate commentary from Mean Gene. Yeah, this was a bit weird. I've, I've ne- you know I've, I've been to a few wrestling shows in my time, and um, I have to say I've never I've never noticed commentary being done by the announcer. No, so so they're in the ring. Who should be in the front row? <laughs> yeah, the A team. The A team are there. Very. Wanted men on the <laughs> run for 10 years for a
1: crime they did not commit. Hiding out on the front row. We cottoned onto that one quick.
0: Yeah. Plot hole alert. <laughs> so, so yeah, so, um, you know, Murdoch's there. Face is there. No sign of Hannibal. No sign. Uh, yeah, Mr. T. B.A. he's there. Hulkster has some special friend with him at <laughs> Ringside.
1: <right here> <laughs> And we don't know who he is, but he's holding the belt.
0: Yeah, he's holding the belt. He's dressed in his um, Hulkamania merchandise. It's um, available now for twenty four ninety nine plus 99 shipping and handling. <laughs> um, the red T-shirt, the red cap. So he's there. He's on the front row, Hulk Hogan. He wins his wrestling match, of course. He retains the WWF title.
1: But how was it the A-team weren't caught
0: well, during a point. this match? Well, that's the point. And luckily, this is when Hannibal comes in. He's in, a, he's in one of his cunning disguises, and uh, he goes, Yeah, there's no FBI agents here. I've scouted the arena. He's under the cover of a peanut salesman yes, touring the stalls. Which I think is a very, a very good and pointless thing. So.
1: And in a true tribute to the military tactics and sense of fairness... Face Man does offer to do the next shift as a peanut salesman, <laughs> looking out for military police.
0: Let me just, let me just kind of um, detract a bit here. Um, I I'm, mean, I'm, I'm thinking the A team—they're meant to be this crack commando squad. And who's there? You've got Face, who who looks like he's the um, should be an extra in a, a stockbroker movie from the '80s, <laughs> and you've got Murdoch, who he frankly looks like he's never held a. a a gun in his life so how how did these people end up in the army that 's what I wanted to know, and not only in the army but clearly special forces one word for you conscription right that 's how they ended up in the army do you get conscripted to special forces though how how were they chosen as crack commandos <laughs> i 'm sure as Vietnam went on, the marines <laughs> went from the
1: motto of the brave and the few to the few right that 's all they had left
0: so so it was it was a case of um Near the end of the war, they were in Nam. Yeah, good upwards mobility in the ranking structure. The cream had rose to the top and been shot, and all (laughs) that was left was the dregs. Although, you know, B.A. Barakas, he looks like a double-eyed bastard.
1: He seems to be a very good driver. They imply that's a skill he learnt in army, but how much driving did one have to do around the forests of Vietnam? (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: talking about Vietnam, good segue there. Um, (laughs) We find out backstage... When um you know uh Hulk Hogan is backstage he's, he sees b a Brackers and the rest of the a team b a Brachu introduces them and shakes hands, and it ends up that Hulk Hogan and b a Bracker served together in Vietnam. while also we all know from
1: past episodes b a served in Vietnam. With, with the rest with of the A team, of the A-team. <laughs> but they didn't serve with Hulk Hogan. He's yeah. never met them before. Yeah,
0: so okay, there might be a slight hole there, might be, but let's keep that aside. So, from what the the story is, is you know they they travel out in the A team, van, and Hulk Hogan's explaining that um, they they had a, an issue. I think it was that they were both involved in a firefight and uh, ended up in military hospital. But the question was, who saved who? Yeah. That was a heated discussion. It was it was a heated discussion that had evidently been going on for twenty years. <laughs> so um, yeah, so they were arguing, going back and forth, back and forth, arguing about this. And
1: again, Hannibal showed off his leadership skills as the mediator with good um, breaks, such as guys you don't see very each other very often. <laughs> yeah. Put these differences beside you, and also look—you both had concussion. <laughs> Neither of you remembers what happened for real
0: and then it turns to more, to more serious matters. Hulk Hogan's driving along in the car and he tells them about his uh, his issue he's got. You know, we've we've been told by this point that his his all the money that he's he's raising from his wrestling matches is given to this uh this charity, this mystery charity. This charity
1: that seems to be a swimming pool on Venice Beach for the children who don't want to go into the salt
0: water. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's for the kids. And Hulk Hogan will do anything for the kids, you know, that... It says he's been giving them money, the WWF has been giving them money, yet somehow
1: it's still in her ears at the bank.
0: Yeah, there's, there's so, it's, like, it's like when you give money to some, like, banana state in Africa, isn't it? You know, <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, it's for aid. And then the leader's there with his bling and his... Uh, yeah. his very... Tax-avoidance tax strategy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Hogan sat in the back of the uh, the eighteen van, and this is what he says. This is, this is, a, this is a line... That was scripted for the episode. This is what somebody wrote and thought this would be a good line for a real human to say. Hulk Hogan, in reference to his uh, his gym on Venice Beach, his, uh, his his kids club, he says, "I've got a problem, a big problem, bigger than the Hulkster." <laughs> now, it sounds like I'm I'm reading it really badly there, but. You can confirm with me that that is how he read those lines. That is definitely right, John. <laughs> John could do a better
1: rendition if he was a bit more pumped right now.
0: Yeah, unfortunately I haven't spent the uh, 1980s uh, on steroids and admitting that in front of a court of law, but, <sighs> you know, that's why, that's why I'm not the Hulkster.
1: By this point in the episode, I think my favourite line had to come from Mean and Gene, clearly an improvised line, where he said, the referee is admonishing Hulkster... <laughs> They're hitting him in the head too many times.
0: <laughs> yes. A, ad- that man's
1: got a good lexicon behind him.
0: Ad- admonish is a word that doesn't get used enough, unfortunately. We've, we've got this, we, we've got the setup now. And then it cuts to um, the, the Venice Beach Boys Club, the owner, who you described as Cagney and Lacey. <laughs> yes. It was one of them, perhaps. C- Cagney and
1: Lacey. Yeah. That was her name. <laughs> I remember because the show was always on after Robson
0: Jerome. <laughs> so <laughs> the um, the and lace is there, and three three generic Italian mobsters come in.
1: See, I don't know if they were meant to be Italian because later on we meet one of the mobsters' father, who's clearly kind of Eastern European. Yeah, well, or what, Russian.
0: I thought he was meant to be, but this guy was like he, he could have been played by um, Al Pacino. You know, it was uh, you know the slick back Sicilian hair, the Italian suit. Although his name was Carter. So maybe not. Ah, well, we, yeah. We'll, we'll s- move on to we'll that. Move on. So, so that they're, there and they, they're saying, we need to buy this gym, we need to buy this community centre, whatever it is. And Cagney and Lacey's there, and she's like, no, no, it's nothing to do with you. This is my father's business, and I'll keep it going. And she's doing it to save the kids. Yeah, it's for the kids because. You know, the kids are going to, I don't know, if, if they're not going to this gym, then they're probably going to be on drugs and have a life of pain. Like women in the sea. A life of street life. And that's not what you want. A little kid comes in and Cagney and Lacey pulls out a gun. <laughs> and you think, oh no, she's going to shoot the little kid. He did startle her. Mm. And she was but- holding a gun. Yeah. For self-defence. Of course. And, you know, this is America and the kid was black, so, it, you know... she—he he In L.A. He might have had a good... In life, L.A. Do you know what I mean? So if she did shoot him, you know, as history's shown, mm-hmm. I think it would have been fair enough. Would this have been in the post-Rodney King world at the time? No, this was, this was what, 1985, this episode, so... Really? Uh, yeah, this wow. is very, very much pre-Rodney pre- vision. Of what was to come. So these, these mobsters are being threatening. The kid gets you know, ushered out. Door shut behind him. The door knocks again. And the mobsters are pissed off. And they're like, ''Kid, you need to go away.'' The door opens. And who should it be but Hulk Hogan?'' and he comes in and he botches them, and he throws them out the window, causing probably hundreds of dollars worth of damage in the (laughs) To their already
1: strained accounts. Maybe that's why they're running out of money, because Hulkster's a (laughs) problem-solver. He's a poison chalice. He's he's the money and the damage.
0: He keeps throwing... You know, They're literally pissing money down the drain with the Hulkster involved. He's throwing mobsters out (laughs) the window. It makes it sound
1: like he's being charitable. It's more likely just compensation. Exactly.
0: (laughs) So what happens then... The mobsters jump in their, in their mobster car, Yeah, they drive off, they jump over a non-existent ramp about eight <laughs> foot in the air. Next shot, you see the eighteen van jumping over the same ramp over eight foot in the air. Being driven by two body doubles, Hulk Hogan's is not very convincing. <laughs> <laughs> and they're, they're scraping round the streets, there's, there's people diving hither they, and
1: thither. They race along the waterfront. So what happens next? The mobsters get away. They cleverly pull in front of a bus, which then blocks the A-team van into an alleyway. And as Howling Mad Murdoch said as this chase commenced while he was left behind, ooh, I don't know what worries me more,
0: what Mr T will do if he gets hold of them, or what will happen to us if he doesn't get hold of them. Yeah, so we've brought back down again. We've had the drama, we've had the action... And now we're back, and, and we're we kind of getting a bit of the background now.
1: A bit too much background. Yeah,
0: we know a lot about, you know, they explain Cagney and Lacey's backstory, her father. and We find out that, that Mr. Carter, the mobster, he's a yacht dealer, and he never sells a yacht that's worth less than a million dollars. Which raises a question. Why are they bothered about this crappy little gym when... You know, this guy. This guy's obviously, uh, um, well, as we find out later, he's he's 80% legitimate now. 80%? Yeah, so, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of money rolling Although around. Although if
1: he deals largely in multi-million pound yachts, and that's 80% of his business, the 20% of crime must still be a significant revenue. It po- so while he said he's eighty percent legit, that twenty percent is still a fairly significant amount of crime.
0: I mean, it depends. Is he talking turnover or profit here? You know, <laughs> I mean, if if he's working on razor thin margins, yeah, you know, if he's a bad businessman, if he's not very good, if he's selling a million dollar yacht, buying it for nine hundred ninety nine thousand, then you know, perhaps I can see the logic of of doing this. And at this point, it's not explained what what's so interesting about this gym. Why do they care?
1: Hannibal certainly has this line of inquiry. Plenty of other plots on the waterfront that they could buy and develop. Yeah. And of course, the guy didn't look like a property developer. No, it doesn't make sense. He looks, he looks like a, a yacht dealer, damn it. He looks like he's 80% yacht dealer and 20% trouble. But then Hulk Hogan comes up with the plan. He says to Mr T, we're going to go down there, kick some doors in.
0: Send them a message. Yeah. And then um, BA, he comes in and he goes, no, no, we've got to have a proper plan. We've got to do disguises. and Strategies and logistics, <laughs> All, and then, and then Hannibal comes in and he says, what's the line? Just go and kick the doors in. Yeah. So Hulk Hogan, he, he's the strategy guy all along. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so, so Hulk Hogan and BA driving along in the A-team van and have this really kind of deep and meaningful conversation um, about fear. What do you fear? What what frightens you the most? Hulk Hogan's like nothing. I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah, brave man. And then B. A. Baracus is like you must be afraid of something. You're meant to be human, dammit. it. I don't know if he comes out with <laughs> not that a line. robot. Yeah, and he goes no, I've, I'm, I'm not afraid of anything. So that's established. Hulk Hogan, he's fearless. What a great guy. You know the, this dialogue is. Forced, it's awful. <laughs> um, it's not the Royale with cheese. To be fair, I think it's more
1: because Mr. T doesn't normally have this level of detailed scene involving another human, another adult.
0: Another, another adult who has the, the same limited capacity for dialogue. As <laughs> <laughs> but you have to remember this is Terry
1: Basala playing the role of Hulk Hogan perfectly. And this is what you would expect
0: from Hulk Hogan. Limited dialogue. Can, I, can I, just, I just... I don't want to have to go back in my notes here. I'm just going to read you... Off a, the top of your head. A line that was in this. It said... I've got a problem. A big problem. Bigger than the hawkster. Brother! He was saying this... A, he, he referred to himself in a third person... Well, but that's because
1: was... Terry is playing the role of Hulk Hogan, and how... that's what Hulk Hogan would do. But how
0: egocentric to have that thing of, right, what's big? The only thing that I can think of that's really, really big is me. It did not <laughs> come across
1: in the episode that the Hulkster was bigger than Mr. T. Okay, so... Lightwise. It... Yeah. But... <laughs> and that's the biggest thing in the A-Team.
0: So, let me go back. <laughs> if we imagine... The, the, the Hulkster is what he, his nickname for his penis. <laughs> I've got a problem. A big problem. Bigger than the Hulkster. Yeah. He's got a problem bigger than his penis. And wow. has he admitted in the mid-80s in a court of law that he, he heavily used steroids, <laughs> then this problem could be quite small. It's a little logic loop by me. But there we go. So... Where did we get to? We got to the... We, we were getting the, the
1: backstory he- of the woman running the the community centre. Mm. Then he moved on to the backstory of the man who was trying to buy the community centre, where the plot got very, very detailed. Yeah,
0: so we're there, and we go back. We go to the yacht, and it's, yes. a, it's a yacht that, that was owned by a... I think it, they mentioned something. I don't know if it was a Russian oligarch or... Whatever the equivalent was in the 80s of a Russian oligarch who owned, who owned this who owned this yacht, who will remain nameless, he said, and Hulk Hogan and uh, BA turn up, and for some reason, they, I didn't see them in the van.
1: I imagine the van was broken after the 8 metre jump they did before, probably wrecked the suspension, something rotten.
0: Yeah, so uh, Face and Murdoch turn up, they're, they're posing as a film crew with a presenter and they're... Uh, they're presenting a show that's um, called something like America's Richest Millionaires or, you know, <laughs> The Lives of the Rich and Famous and Hulk Hogan's This and, is an angle
1: that proves to have very little to do with why they're even there because they film a bit there. Yeah. And then, then it's not mentioned again afterwards. Yeah. No, <laughs> they just it. start searching the boat.
0: Yeah. So they're the wandering around the boat and they essentially do a shakedown.
1: Yes. Yeah. They con that man good. They
0: mobster the mob.
1: They, uh, they put him on a pressure point. They've got him. And he's twists his arm into making a donation, doesn't yeah. he?
0: He's got a safe face in front of his, uh, you know. His oh, own. that's why the camera's there. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. he
1: has to go along with it. Yeah. And give them a check for twenty thousand. That's twenty-five
0: thousand. Twenty-five k. Yeah. So, to go
1: towards a charity that needs new windows.
0: Yeah. So which which will which will pay for the windows, thankfully, and the compensation of of obviously the injuries sustained by the um, legitimate, bus- well, the eighty percent legitimate businessmen who were <laughs> thrown through the window. So they leave the boat in the a van, and who should follow about two metres behind in their mobster car, <laughs> but the mobsters. The same
1: mobster car they had been chasing earlier that day. Yeah,
0: just, you know, the, the a van's driving along casually, and this mobster car's following them, and it's, it's fine. You know, they're not, they're not that bothered. It's just, it's just happening. Day in the life. Um, and they, they um, pull up at a gym, and it's an empty gym. It's closed. The lights are off. And Hulk Hogan, he says... He comes out with a line of, I'm looking for the light switch. Which seems to be in the middle of the room. Yeah. <laughs> and he switches the light switch on. And who should be there but loads of wrestlers. Hulk did warn them that they didn't want to do this here. Yeah. And, uh, you say there's loads of
1: wrestlers, but you know who wasn't there? Who wasn't there? Tugboat. Who they were meant to be meeting. <sighs> but you know who was there? Who was, was there, John? Ricky Steamboat. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you got to love Ricky Steamboat. Yeah, he
1: didn't seem to get credited in the end credits. There were a few wrestlers, but Ricky was the only one I recognised.
0: Yeah, there, there, was, um, there was. Well, Greg the Hammer Valentini appeared later on as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think he got credited either. But he wasn't particularly acting. He was just being. He was wrestler. just doing in ring. Yeah, yeah. They, they they basically just kick the crap out of the mobsters. So all these wrestlers, they, they wrestle them. They wrestle them up
1: yeah. and leave it at that. <laughs> They leave him in a pile of bodies and say, Well, they've learnt their lesson. Let's cut to the next scene. Next it gets off tangents and the face man is infiltrating the FBI by walking into the FBI, going to the gents toilets and stealing a man's ID. Yeah,
0: he was he was wearing a very similar suit to other FBI agents, so <laughs> He was
1: wearing a similar tweed suit.
0: Yeah. That's all it took back then. Yeah. So this was this was in the days before the Al Qaedas and the you know the the 9-11s of this world. Yeah. This, this was a more innocent time when you could just walk into FBI headquarters. On Venice Beach. On Venice Beach. And uh, you basically overhear someone else's conversation about a case, and then that's you're in. That's you're in. That's how you get in. So he, he overhears someone's conversation about a case, and he goes up to the library or the archives or wherever it was, and just said, oh, they've got me on this. This, whatever, MacArthur case or something. And
1: uh, yeah, I've got. He to... goes
0: up to the one man who has a computer. Yeah. And he's like, oh, they've not got you on that. So they've immediately got rapport there because, you know, then they know, they know, they know that this case is a pain in the backside for all of them. So he looks them up and he, he finds out all this information about basically the background story of the old mobster and Cagney and Lace's dad. And, and I think they do this quite cleverly. Did you notice what they did? Run it by
1: me again, right, John. So, for the benefit of our listeners,
0: <laughs> I will paint you a picture. Uh-huh. You've got this geeky guy sat at his computer. He starts reading out the list of, of offences. What happens? And then it blends so subtly into Hannibal telling it. It's seamless. It's amazing. It's like he's finishing the guy's sentence, but we're back in a different and, scene. Yeah, we're back at the uh, at the gym with Hannibal, and he's, he's explaining that you know this guy. This mobster, he'd he'd um, robbed some gold bullion.
1: This is where the uh, the morals of the uh, background characters start to get dubious.
0: I, I what I got from this is I think that Cagney and Lace's dad was meant to be a security guard. He was a security guard on this on on basically the gold transport, carrying 14 bars of yeah, bullion, which were back in in 1958 worth. $76,000. <laughs> but in, in 1985, they're worth $760,000. So obviously, the guy who sells million-pound yachts every week is interested in you know another 760000
1: That would be from his 20% for the illegitimate business. Yes. The generic gangster's father yeah. had been involved in the heist of the gold van. Yeah. The inside guy was Cagney Lacey's father yeah another man was the other guard was killed as part of the job and the mobster father went to jail for 30 years and yeah. he's just got out and he's come to cash in
0: so yeah we, we know we've got the missing gold in play and um, Hannibal decides to go and confront the, the old mobster um, under the cunning disguise of being the brother of the FBI
1: agent who, have, who had originally investigated the case and has since died
0: a pauper yeah, but he wants in. He wants the gold. He wants a cut. He doesn't play it
1: straight like he's a fictitious dead brother.
0: <laughs> so, um, so, so the 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 mobster, the old mobster, he he decides to, um, you know, go down to the lot and and show them where it was buried. So Murdoch's there. He's in his orange jumpsuit, pretending to be a prisoner. He's digging up the box, and what's in the box? Nothing. No. No. The gold's gone. The gold has been taken. And there's a little note from Cagney Lacey's dad saying the goal's been taken away and he's hidden it somewhere else. And then at this point, the FBI arrive and military police to take away the A team. That's
1: right, both arrive. Yeah. And I have to say, Cagney Lacey adjusts very well to finding out the father who she idolised and brought her up after her mother died young. Adapts very quickly to the fact her father double-crossed another security guard, got him murdered in order to get this gold, and got yeah got involved with the mob
0: and yeah. uh, essentially she takes it on the chin because you know who's she to judge? Well, she's Cagney and Lacey, of course. <laughs> so yeah, so they end up in um, in in the FBI prison on on Venice Beach. Yeah, the um, same one of the
1: high security standards. Yeah,
0: and the um, the the military police are there, and they're 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 pissed off with the the FBI. They're going, they're they're our prisoners, and the FBI have been like, well, we we we've been we've been after these as well. They're still one of our officers' ID, and the um, the the military police we've we've been after the eighteen for twenty years, and the FBI said, well, we've been after them for ten minutes.
1: Boom. Yeah. So
0: that's that's it. It's brilliant. They're they're there they're kind of rotting in a cell. Oh. But wait, who should turn up dressed as a general? Yeah? <laughs> who? Howling Mad murder. Of course. H.M. Murdoch. Yeah. So he, he's there, oh. he, he he turns up and he he's tells tells the guards outside the military police, put your weapons away, this is the 18 we're dealing with.
1: You know what? I think that might be a reference to earlier in the episode when they were set up as a cameraman and reporter GO, Howling Mad Murdoch says, Why do I always get the blue collar jobs when it comes to impersonating someone? Why don't you let me impersonate someone more significant, someone important? <laughs> Later on. <laughs> wow.
0: He's already a general Where do you, you, references, you, in, yeah, in references. You are you are reading this on so many different layers. Whoa. This is this is you know, we we were kind of saying this was bad writing, you know, earlier on we were saying how can how can a human being Put this on the screen and say that this is something that another human being would say to another human being. It's
1: almost as if the bits which come out as nonsense are the bits Hulk Hogan speaks. <laughs> Did he have a producer credit? I can't remember.
0: The Hulkster brother. Um, so the generals there. At least I think it's the general. He he tells the the soldiers to to help him escort the prisoner away and. Um, they end up getting the guns out and turning them on the soldiers. Oh. They get in the military police van and drive away. Another fiendish escape. Yeah. And where do they drive away to? Do they hide in the California underground? Do they become soldiers of fortune? <laughs> no. They've got a job to finish. They go back to the place where they were arrested like fools. <laughs> um, do the FBI come back and trap them down at this point?
1: I think the FBI have the tail between their legs at this point. Their ten minutes of hunting the A-Team has come to an
0: abrupt (laughs) and
1: embarrassing end.
0: And the 20 years with the military police... Carries on. Yeah, so they they don't think, oh, I wonder where they've gone. Have they gone back to the place where we arrested them? Or maybe that's the last place they'd look. Well, it's a a double bluff. The A-Team are all about the psychological game. So then we cut, and we've heard er earlier on that Hulk Hogan is going to wrestle at the Los Angeles State Arena... To raise money for... For, for the community, community centre. For the community centre. And so he's having a match with uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine. You know, that porky guy with his uh, blonde mullet. But the mobsters have arrived with bags full of cash. which are We queen. know the
1: bags full of cash because they have a dollar sign on them. Yeah,
0: it may as well just say swag across the thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? They the, the could have looked... Less conspicuous of the gunning with the black masks on, striped T-shirts,
1: and I think it is implied that these bags of swag is the money Hulk Hogan had been earning for the charity.
0: Yeah, oh well, I think I think that was obvious. Um, so the, you know the mobsters, are there, Hulk Hogan's there. He's in the ring. He gets he gets the the match won. He wins the wrestling match, like only the Hulkster can, brother. And then Hulk Hogan catches up with the mobsters backstage and throws them through a table. And he gets gets the money. But he had already beaten them up exactly the same way earlier
1: on in the episode, so why didn't he just end there? Yeah. plus looking at the bags of money they stole, I don't think they stole more than $25,000 anyway, which is the money Hulk Hogan had bullied them out of earlier on.
0: So, everything's sorted. Hulk Hogan's agreed to support the gym. The WWF are going to keep the gym going. And uh, Cagney and Lacey's happy because... They find the gold, they hand it in to the FBI and get the reward. See, I don't remember this bit. I don't
1: remember them referring back to the gold again. No, they definitely did. Because I thought that was a bit of an open-ended thing
0: to leave. No, no, they definitely did. They referred to the gold. She'd handed it in. She did the right thing. She did the right thing, but I imagine she glossed over the fact she knew where the gold was because her
1: father was working with the mob and got another man murdered and buried the gold, but for some reason dug it up again and moved it, (laughs) but left a note to let them know he'd moved the gold. To where? And how did she find it?
0: Where was it? Do you know what I mean? I I looked away for a second and I must have missed all you, this. You did. And then we have the final scene. And this is this is where it comes full circle. Remember the conversation in the car? The powerful one. The one where Hulk Hogan admitted that he had no fears. And he you know, BA was there, he was saying, You must have some fears, you must be afraid of something and Hulk Hogan denied it. He was like, I'm not afraid of anything. But this final scene, Hulk Hogan admits... He's afraid of failure. No, oh. no, no. If only. That would have been good. But no, he's afraid of being near water because he's afraid that every time he's near water, he throws somebody in. And who should be next to him, near the water, but... Oh, the and they're, they're, they they And they basically start trying to throw each other in the water. I
1: thought it looked like they were having a nice
0: manly hug yeah and then it seems there's a moment where there's a bit of respect and they're like ha 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 oh you're not going to throw me in the water and then they try and throw each other in the water again and freeze uh, frame end of episode it looks like Mr. T won that battle yeah I, I mean it, it was ambiguous it was it ambiguous it was ambiguous morally yeah and, 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 and physically <laughs> well the A team is um, ambiguous morally and
1: um, ambiguous morals and uh, clear good bad, good guys and bad guys is the recurring theme throughout this episode
0: yeah. Well, obviously, it was obvious who the good guy was. It was Hulk Hogan throughout. Of course, he's a babyface through and through. And I think he solved the problem. He solved the. Uh, I'll just go back through my notes. The uh, what was it? Well, he- all he's
1: done is uh, prolonged the problem. He set up that beach, that uh, beachfront charity, with some money to keep going, but he's not addressed the dreadful business model that seems to require. Lost gold, FBI rewards, the funding of the Hulkster, and the funding of the WWE for it to keep going.
0: Yeah, and we don't know what happened to the mobsters. No. They got thrown through tables. And, and, and multiple and, times. And that's it. That's the end of it. We don't know what happened to the military police. We don't know what happened with the FBI. That was the end of it. Hulk Hogan, he came out with the line early, earlier in the episode. He said, I've got a problem. A big problem. Bigger than the Hulkster. Did he solve the problem? No, he didn't. Failure. You know what? All this, failure of an episode. All yeah, this
1: episode has been machismo and violence and fighting and threats. All they needed and, was an accountant and a business manager <laughs> and jumping cars. Yes,
0: yeah. And that's it. That's all it was. Oh well. And um, yeah, thanks for listening. I think I think that that's the end of the episode. That's the end, the end of, end of, of this another episode. episode of When Wrestlers Act. Yeah. Um, follow us on the Facebook. It's podcast on Twitter, at podcast and com. If you've liked what you heard, tell your friends. If you haven't, don't tell your friends. And, uh, and of course, don't forget
1: to check on www.myspace.com forward slash WWA.
0: <laughs> we haven't got fucking MySpace. <laughs>